Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. So today we're gonna we're gonna listen and think about something Jesus said in an interaction with someone and I believe it's going to really help us in terms of our faith and our hope. How many know that today we need some hope? How many of you know in our world today we need some hope? Okay, how many of y'all on this side know we need hope? Amen, okay. This side, do you know we need help? Okay, right down the middle. How are we doing on hope? All right, just have to pull you out of your shell. So today I want to talk to you around the subject, why stay here until you die? Scripture is John chapter 5, verse 3 and verse 5 through 9, reading from the NIV. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else will go down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which he took uh, this place, or this took place, it was the Sabbath. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This is one of the most interesting passages of scripture to me, and one of the most interesting encounters that Jesus had when he was preaching, teaching, doing miracles on the earth. And if, if you just read over it and you just look at it as a story and just like a little account of something Jesus did, you might miss something very important. So I want to stop for a minute and take a little bit of time and just ask ourselves what happened here. You know, um, Jesus had been preaching, he had been teaching, he had been healing, he had been delivering people, his reputation was building, people were starting to know him, he had now taken his ministry public, because for a while you can read that he would do things and he would say, don't tell anybody, because it's not my time yet, and they'll, you know, there were parts of, uh, of miracles that he did that they literally said, if he, if he doesn't leave, they will come and grab him and try to make him the king, because he was, it was so un- unreal the things he was doing. So he was in that that part of his ministry where he was literally publicly proclaiming uh, the, 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 the year of the Lord. He was publicly doing what God called him to do in Isaiah 61, where he talks about, you know, he was anointed uh, to, to, you know, bring, set the captive free and bring sight to the blind and heal the brokenhearted and all of this. That's why he came. And so he's in the middle of this and he's doing this. And one day he came to this pool, the pool of Bethesda. And this was at the temple and there were several little gates going into uh, this area and one of the gates had a pool there and there were many lame and sick people that would lay outside this pool now the legend had it that the pool would stir up the water 
And what that was, it was angels coming down and they were stirring up the water. And when the angel would 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 uh, touch the water, then it would stir. Then if you got in the water, the first person who get in the water would be healed. <laughs> what a merciless, ridiculous thought. I mean, everybody's racing and everybody else who doesn't get there first, too bad. And so... It was a it was a legend and it, it was a superstition and it's interesting to me how in today's world a lot of us uh, we we put our faith in uh, tradition we put our faith in religious ideology we put our faith in ourselves we put our faith in our own goodness or we put our faith in our own ability to do something good or we put our faith in community or we put our faith in government or we put our faith in all of these kinds of things that are not what our faith should be in our faith should only be in God he, he's the only one that can save your soul he's the only one that can heal your hurts he's the only one that can bind up your wounds he's the only one that can fix your problems he's the only one that has true and real solutions for the true and real problems you have and i know i know we think a doctor can fix it we think a lawyer can fix it we think a governor can fix it we think a person can fix it we think a president can fix it we think uh, our neighbor can fix it we think others can fix it and so we put our hope in things we think money can fix it that's the biggest one money can fix it if i just had more money if i just had a better house if i had just more stuff it would fix the emptiness on the inside. It just doesn't work that way because God placed eternity in all of our hearts. In other words, he placed a gap in us that is only filled by him. And so when men, is, when men and women are searching, when we are hunting for something more, it's not we're not really hunting for the things we think we're hunting for because when we find those things, they don't fulfill. But man, there is hope in Jesus. Jesus will give you hope every time. Why? Because Jesus didn't just say things. He didn't just teach things. He actually did some things. He actually healed the sick and raised the dead and cast out devils and calmed the stormy seas. And Jesus literally did go to the cross and take your place and die for your sins. And Jesus literally did go to the tomb dead and three days later raise up from the dead. We're not talking about some philosopher or some ideologue or some person who's got something to say or an opinion piece. We're talking about God. We're talking about God who uncovered himself of his divinity and became a humanity. And he, he humbled himself to become like us so that he could do the things necessary for us to be redeemed and to be forgiven. This is God. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our peace. He is our love. He is our contentment and our satisfaction. There is, there is no one like him. No one can replace him. He alone is God and beside him there is no other. So if you want to put your hope or faith or confidence in something, one today don't put it in things or people or stuff or any other thing that we come up with just put your faith and your hope in God who is eternal and who stands outside of time and stands outside of the earth and stands outside of eternity because he created it all he is the creator of all things he is the sustainer of all things and he is our peace come on you got to know that this morning you got to believe that this morning so Jesus walks up to this guy and I don't know why this guy, I don't know why. The only indicator that we have that Jesus was attracted to this guy was because he'd been that way a long time. And he walks up to him and he, and he says something utterly ridiculous. 
I mean, you, 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 you think about what Jesus said to this guy. So, so let's think about this guy for a minute. He is a man who's been lame for 38 years. 38 years. He has dealt with this problem. Every morning he gets up, he's lame. Every night he goes to bed, he's lame. Every day he has to depend on someone to take him to that place, to lay him there, to set him there, and hope that maybe he can get to the water before everyone else does when it's stirred. And he had no hope in himself. He had no ability in himself. He had no way, everything he had achieved or everything he could get or every way to make a living, it was all totally dependent on someone else. He could not do for himself. He was incapable. Now, I know that we have a lot of people in our world today that suffer with some of the same kinds of things. But think about, about all the technology and how much we can do for people in that status today and how much they can do because of that. But this man didn't have those opportunities. He, you know, when you are a person who was lame or you're a person who was blind or you're a person who was a leper, lepers had to be consigned to the outside of the city because they were considered contagious and you couldn't get around them. They were unclean. It would make you not only sick but unholy. And so they were completely pushed out of community. Think about that. You get a disease and then not only are you have a disease, but you're pushed outside of humanity. You're pushed outside of community. So, so... This was the type of things that were done in those days. But people who had that kind of sickness or that kind of blindness or that kind of a problem in their life, they many times were looked down upon because people would assume religious people, thank God for religious people, religious people would look down their nose at them and say, you must have committed some kind of sin or you wouldn't be in this place or this situation or it's because of your sinfulness, it's because your parents were sinful or whatever and that's why you have this defect. It, it was so bad that people would push even family members away from themselves because they didn't want to be associated with this kind of thing. And so here's this man every day for all these years going to try to get help. And Jesus walks into the situation. And I, I honestly think, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say Jesus had a bad attitude or anything like that because we know Jesus didn't have a bad attitude. But I think Jesus was a little bit disgusted with the whole situation. Because he knew what the religious dynamic was. He knew that no one was giving this guy help. He knew that this guy was in this situation. And he was just disgusted by the whole thing. 38 years you've been in this situation. 38 years, because that's the first thing he asked him. That's the first thing he found out, how long he'd been in that situation. And so here he is, laying there, and Jesus walks up to him. Now, I want you to get this picture in your mind. Jesus walks up to this man laying on a mat, and I would imagine Jesus being who he is, knelt down and got eye level with him, and then he looked around, and he's laying among many other people who are equally invalid. And he says to this man who's been this way for 38 years, that's been dragging himself to that pool for all this time to try to get into the water, he asks him a ridiculous question. Do you want to get well? What? 
What? You would think the man's immediate response would be, what do you mean, do I want to get well? I'm out here, aren't I? I'm waiting for the pool to get stirred up, aren't I? I'm sitting here among all these people. My friends brought me here. What do you mean, do I want to get well? Of course I want to get well. But see, Jesus always knows. Jesus always has insight about things that we don't think he has insight about. He doesn't just look at our mind, and he doesn't just look at our circumstances. He doesn't look what's on the outside. He looks deeply onto what's on the inside. And he understood something about this guy, and that's why he asked him that question. Do you want to be made well? And how do I know that there was a particular purpose behind that question? Because how the man answered him. How did he answer? Jesus found out he'd been this way for a long time, and he asked him, do you want to get well? And here was the invalid's response. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. He doesn't say, yes, I want to get well. I want you to notice what the man did not say. He did not say, yes, I want to get well. He said, I have no one to put me in. Now, sounds like an excuse to me. Why? Because who brought him there? So if his friends brought him there and laid him there, or his family brought him there and laid him there, they just laid him there and said, hey, we got to go. We're not going to be here when the water stirs up because we got to go. You're going to have to get to the water on your own. So the man immediately turns his attention to, I cannot get down there because no one will help me. And then he says, and even if I do try to get down there, others go down before me. So here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to watch. This man had a problem that was more than an invalid body. He had an invalid spirit. He had an invalid mind. His mind was, I've gotten used to this way of living. I've gotten used to it. This is the way I live. This is who I am. This is what I do. You know, here's the biggest problem that we have in our culture today with sin and sickness and disease and problems and issues and and all of the weaknesses that we might have is we have one big problem. Instead of just calling them what they are and owning our behavior in them, we identify ourselves as them. You hear me? So this man didn't see himself as a problem. He didn't see himself as a person who had a, a, a physical problem. He saw himself as a physical problem. That was his identity. That's who he was. And he says he wants to be well, or he insinuates he wants to be well, but he's given Jesus every reason why it's never going to happen for me. It's never going to happen because I can't get down there. And even if I do get down there, somebody's going to jump in front of me. And I believe that Jesus probably told him, you know, as well as I know, this is ridiculous. You know, as well as I know, that this superstition doesn't mean anything. Even if you got down to that water, you're not going to be healed by that water. You are playing a game here, a religious and a traditional game that is not going to fix your problem. It's not going to help your situation. And let's just stop all this 
nonsense. Do you want to be made well? What Jesus was inferring is, if you want to be made well, I'm standing right here. You don't need somebody else to help you put you in a superstition. You don't need somebody to guide you to some tradition. You don't need somebody to tell you this formula and that formula. All you need to do is focus yourself on me, realize I'm your answer, put your hope in me, and we'll finish this thing right now. And that's exactly what happened. Let's read it. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. <laughs> I love the way Jesus talks. It's just like he, he doesn't play. He's not like going to massage the message. I was just talking to someone just recently and kind of coaching them on their culture is one of how many y'all, how many y'all have a culture where it's a little bit passive aggressive, where you kind of hint at things or you go around things to get to your point instead of just saying what you're pointing. How many of you know anybody like that? And, and how many of you are someone like that? Anyway, most people are. Why? Because that's why when someone says someone something direct to you, even if it's in love, you get offended by it because you're not used to people talking to you directly. Jesus just said, he didn't say, well, let me tell you what could happen here if you just believe on me. Now, listen, I don't want you to be upset what I'm about to say. No, he just said, get up. Let's put an end to this right now. Get up. And that man looked at him, put his hope in Jesus, and got up. Now, we're not talking about some little issue here. We're not talking about some little minor problem. This is 38 years crippled. And he feels strength come back into his body and gets up. And then Jesus, as if to challenge the superstition and challenge the tradition and challenge the religious mindset, he said, pick up your bed and walk. Knowing full well that the Pharisees would be so angry because it was the Sabbath and that would constitute work. Jesus has always got a purpose that's bigger than what we can see. He's always got a reason. And what we need to do is become people who don't put our faith in things that don't matter or put our faith in things that aren't important or put our faith in things that won't answer, whether it's substances or money or people or community or approval. No, all of those things are not going to get you up off that Matt, and the question God is saying to us, wherever we are in our spiritual walk, he's saying to us, do you want to take the next step? Do you want to get well? Do you want me to deal with that issue in your life? Would you like for me to deal with that thing in your family? Would you be okay if I just did this in your situation? It's like Pastor Scotty was saying this morning as we take communion. I think what a beautiful thought that is that Jesus sacrificed everything for us. He surrendered his whole, his whole self so that we could be made well. And now our job for him is to just give our whole self to him. I surrender all. Y'all remember that song, I surrender all. I surrender. Everybody say the word all. What does the word all mean? So, so when we sing things like that, do, do we mean it? And we should. Why? Because our hope is in him. Our hope is in him. It reminds me, honestly, of a, a story that happened in 2 Kings chapter 7. And, and it was, it's a very interesting story. And I want to read the text to you and then we'll talk about it for just a moment. Because I'm coming to a point that I think is going to help us in our growth. 
You know, when Jesus did things, he had a greater purpose. I believe full-heartedly that Jesus wasn't just helping that guy. But I think Jesus was giving us something to look at and to understand. He was teaching us in the moment. He was teaching us what it means to really surrender to him and put our hope in him instead of other things. Second, uh, excuse me, Second Kings 7, 3 through 9, it says this. Now, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Aramans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and took some of the things from it and hid them also. And then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So let's get a picture here of what's happening. The Arameans had attacked Israel. They had surrounded the city, causing a famine. There was no food. There was no ammunition. There was nothing coming to them. They were completely pinned down. And, and they didn't know what they were going to do. Now, the picture we get here, the understanding we get here is of four guys who were lepers. I told you about earlier. Now, lepers, when you got leprosy because it was considered a contagion and also considered religiously unclean, you had to remove yourself from the city. You had to remove yourself from community. What they would literally make them do is if they went to the priest and the priest said, this is leprosy, and, and, and it's not actual leprosy as we know it today. It would be some kind of a very contagious skin disease that would eat your limbs and, 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 and uh, just mess your body up, completely mess it up. And, and so it, it considered contagious and religiously unclean, they would push them outside of the community. So it didn't matter how old they were. If they were a young man with a business, if they were an old man that lived his life, or if they were a young person, it didn't matter. You can't stay here. You had to get up and leave your family. You had to get up and leave your friends. You had to get up and leave your neighborhood, your business, whatever it was. You got to get out of here. So they would literally put them outside the city, and you would have what they called leper colonies. And if you were to be traveling outside of a city and there was a leper colony, the law forced them that if you got a certain uh, proximity to them, that they had to let you know they were there. And they would yell out, unclean, unclean. Now, can you imagine being a person who was ate up with the disease and cast out by society, and then you had to let everybody know, I'm worthless, I'm no good, don't get close to me, you could die if you get close to me, I'm bad, I'm evil, I'm unclean, unclean. It's a lot like that literary piece that you may have read in, 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 in high school or junior high, The Scarlet Letter. They literally had this label on them. They said, you are worth nothing. And I wonder how often we allow 
ourselves to do that. I wonder how often we make a mistake or we fail, which, hello, uh, it happens. How often do we get caught up in our pride or how often do we not treat our kids right or how often do we rebel against authority or how often do we fall into some kind of sexual sin or some kind of substance abuse or some kind of thing that is holding us down and holding us back. And then we go to God and we say, God, I need your help. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that religious people will try to be God to you and put you down and push you down and let you know you don't belong. It bothers me and it burdens me when I hear people say, I've heard many say this, that I went to certain, certain church and they treated me like, They didn't want me there because I was wearing a certain thing or because I looked a certain way or because I didn't fit in with their generation or I didn't fit in with their way of seeing God. And and I'm not saying any of that to minimize the idea that we need to be holy and we need to follow after God and we need to let God change us. But we cannot afford to take on the identity of our wrongdoings. When people are struggling with, why do you think there's such a challenge on society today to identify people as certain things? That there's a direct attack on identity. It's not a direct attack on just behaving in sin. It's an attack on identity. This is who you are. It's not what you do. It's who you are. This is not right, and it's not okay. And even in the church and even in ourselves, we've got to be careful not to let shame from our past burrow its way into our current life and keep us held back and hindered from what God wants to do in us. No, you're not perfect, but you know what? God is perfecting you. And every time, sometimes you do slip up. And let me just tell you something. If you want your life to change, surrender your life to God. Like if you're being a Christian and you keep falling into sin, stop doing that. And you say, well, I can't. It's a problem. It's habitual. There's a way. I'm going to tell you in just a moment. But the biggest way, the number one way, is to just stop trying to do it yourself and go to God and say, God, I need you to change whatever inside me needs to be changed so that I can become what you want me to become. You know, I love it because John talks about this. He talks, John in his epistle talks so much about being holy and being like God and not falling into sin. But he starts the epistle this way. If you say you have no sin, and by the way, he's writing to the church. If you say you have no sin, you, you, you make God. He didn't say you're a liar. He said you make God a liar. He said you have a sin, but here's the, here's the blessed part. That if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if you go to Jesus Christ and the Bible says confess your sins, that word in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 there, confess, just simply means to agree with. So what you're saying is, God, I agree. I'm doing wrong. I'm turning from that and I'm moving in your direction. 
And he said, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive you your sins. And, come on somebody, and. God never just does one thing. He always has an and. I'm going to bless you this way, but and I'm going to also do this for you. And that's what God said to him, to us through, the, through First John. He said, he said, if you ask and confess, I will forgive your sins and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He was saying, look, I'll save you, but I'll also sanctify you. I'll forgive you, but I'll also set you free. I'll give you grace to forgive you, but I'll also give you grace to empower you to overcome what you struggle with. These four men had been cast out by society. And so when God did this miracle and made the Aramaeans run and leave all their tents wide open with that were full of food and full of money, and these lepers said, wow. Of course they didn't think of their community. Of course they'd been cast out of their community. So what did they do? They went and got the food. They went and got the, 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 the money. They went and got all of that. And then all of a sudden they realized this is wrong. This is wrong. We've got this blessing and we're not giving it to anybody else. And if we keep doing this, we're going to be judged for this. If we keep doing this, we're going to be held accountable for our misbehavior. So they stopped collecting for themselves and they ran to the royal palace and they told them the Aramaeans are gone and all of this is yours. And they shared what they had. So here are some questions. Why spiritually as leaders are we accepting defeat? As believers, as disciples, why are we expecting why are we accepting spiritual defeat? Spiritual shame, spiritual guilt, being beat down, held down, made captive by our guilt or our shame from the past. We need to shake free of that and let God do something great in our life. The second thing is why are we allowing brokenness to own us? Yes, we can be broken at times, but why are we identifying ourselves as broken? We're not broken as long as we have Jesus because he can put us back together. Come on, somebody. He, you might have some pieces laying around on the ground, but God will just pick them up and put them back together. You might have to start over once or twice. You might have to struggle a bit, but that's all a part of the journey. Come on, that's a part of the process. God didn't say, I'm gonna save you, you're gonna be perfect, no more than he said you could have a baby and they're gonna immediately walk out of the womb. And if they don't, we're kicking them out of the house. It's, you're one, you're one, you're not walking, get out. No, but God puts us through a sanctifying process that when we do mess up, we can immediately go to our advocate, Jesus, who died for us and say, I'm sorry. I know this is wrong. I'm sorry. Break this off my life. And he will. But if we allow those things, those mistakes, those failures to grab a hold of us and become our identity, then instead of turning to him, we turn to ourselves. Instead of turning to him, we turn back to those things. Instead of, I can't do it, I can't live this, I can't overcome this, I can't get free from this. You just keep turning back. Peter described it this way. It's gross, but it's what he said. He says, like it's, it's like a dog that keeps returning to its vomit. Why allow depression to win? Some of us have faced depression in the last few years just out of nowhere. Why allow depression to win? Why let your past control your future? Why let addictions or bad habits take charge of your life? So I want to give you five 
ways to get up and live. Are y'all ready? Five ways to get up and live. I hope you have the app. You could be filling in these blanks. Number one, I don't know why I rhymed these, but, you know, Grandmaster Flash. Uh, some of y'all are like, what, what was that? The first one is don't blame, own the pain, kill the shame. So don't blame, own the pain, and kill the shame. In other words, if there's something wrong in your life, don't make excuses about it. Don't be, well, I can't, I can't get down. I have no one. It's so paralyzing in life when we start blaming others for our problems. It's so victimizing in life. No matter what has happened to us, it, it, it is so paralyzing to say, I would be better but they. I would be better but it. I would be better but this. No, no. No excuses. No blame shifting. Take personal responsibility. Don't blame. Own the pain. Kill the shame. It happened. It was bad. It hurt. It devastated. But you know what? I can sit here in this mess or I can get up. I can turn my hope towards Jesus who is literally actively saying to me, hey, do you want to get better? Do you want to be well? Do you want to move forward? Do you want to get up off your mat? Would you like to be normal? Would you like to move in righteousness? Would you like to move in holiness? I got that answer for you. Just come to me. No excuses. No blame shifting. Taking personal responsibility. God, I was wrong. God, this happened. It hurts. Help me. It's that simple of a process. It may not be that simple as an action or as a result, but it is that simple of a process. Just saying, I'm not giving excuses. I'm not blaming others. I'm taking responsibility. Because here's the deal. Even if someone else did something to you, they don't control you. You control you. So it's your personal responsibility as to what happens to you. And if you'll give that responsibility to yourself, but also give it to Jesus, because the Bible says in 1 Peter, cast on your cares to God because he cares about you. Second thing is trust him, not them. Trust him, not them. We need to be filled with the word of God. Like, we need to be filled. This is why I wrote this book. We need to be filled with the Word of God. Like, every time you face a problem, face a sin, face an issue, face a circumstance, the Word of God should be coming out of you. Not your words, not someone else's philosophy, not some idea you heard on some talk show. No, this is God's Word erupting out of your spirit. Well, the only way that happens is if you put the Word of God in. Everybody say, what goes in? must come out right so trust him not them be filled with the word pray desperately seek the face of God stop listening to the world stop I've talked about it before so I'm not going back in it just stop listening to the world they have nothing to give you but the opposite of hope they have nothing to give you but hopelessness they have nothing to give you but things that will destroy your life just stop listening to them Listen and obey God and trust him. Trust is so powerful if you'll just learn to put your whole self on him. The third thing is let hope inspire your faith. Don't let doubt push you out. Let hope inspire your faith. Don't let doubt push you out. Elijah's servant missed the blessing because God, because doubt pushed him out. Elijah couldn't see. He couldn't do 
Elijah's servant couldn't do the things that God wanted him to do because he doubted when Elijah believed. Number four, let God steer and drive you away from fear. Listen, guys, fear is running rampant. It's running rampant on the earth and it's running rampant in our lives. You got to take authority over it. You are children of God. You are under the blood of Jesus Christ. You are sons and daughters of God. That gives you authority over the things of this earth. Jesus gave us that authority. So don't let fear drive you. And it doesn't matter if that fear comes in the form of insecurity or if it comes in all out afraid. Don't let fear drive you. Don't be raising your kids out of fear. Don't be raising your family out of fear. Don't be working your job out of fear. Don't be taking that risk out of fear. Take it out of faith. Come on, somebody. We need to stand in faith and send fear packing. We can either listen to God and obey and see fear run from us, or we can give in to fear and experience rejection and experience an overcome life. We can experience a defeated life. Or we can say, fear has no place with me. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of soundness of mind. That I have not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption where I cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Come on. God is on your side. God has all power there is. What in the world do you have to be afraid of? Well, our government's doing this. What do you have to be afraid of? My neighbor's doing this. What do you have to be afraid of? My boss is doing this. What do you? My wife said this. What do you have to be afraid of? God is your dad. Come on, somebody. Number five and last, don't keep for yourself what could be an answer to prayer for someone else. Listen to me. Don't keep for yourself what could be an answer to prayer for someone else. Those, those lepers had such a bad life came to their senses and said what we're doing is wrong I want to challenge you today Christian it's important that you allow God to perfect your life it's important that you shouldn't get saved and then just live your life in sin and say well I've got fire insurance I'm going to heaven that's not what we believe it's not what we teach and it's not true And we should follow the Word of God and let the Word of God transform us. The Word of God shouldn't just inform us. The Word of God should transform us. Matter of fact, if you delve into the Word of God, it will transform you. It's why I'm who I am today. You wouldn't even like me if you knew me before I was saved. I hope you like me now. We're working on that, right? But the truth is, we should be transforming. We should be becoming that butterfly from that ugly old caterpillar. But because we're at one level of development and growth, we cannot say to ourselves, I have nothing to give. Because if God has forgiven me of my sins, no matter where I'm at on that spectrum of growth, I have something to offer someone else. I, I've, I found some food. They're starving in the city. I found some food. I'm going to eat, but then I'm going to take what I found and I'm going to give it to someone else. This is why we're not just disciples, but we're also makers 
of disciples. This is why Jesus didn't just say, be my disciple. He said, go and make disciples. He's saying, you've been given something, now give it to someone else. And what have we been given? We've been given life. We've been given forgiveness. We've been given health. We've been given hope. Come on. We've been given joy. We've been given peace. We've been given satisfaction and fulfillment. And if you're not experiencing that, then I just challenge you, get into the Word of God and seek the face of God. But why sit here till we die? Do we want to be made well? Or have we become comfortable in the state that we're in? Do do you want to be free from worry? Do do you want to be free from any kind of bondage in your life? Do you want freedom from habitual sin and addiction? Do you want to be free from self-centered living? Then get up. Get up in the name of Jesus. Get up out of that mess. Make a decision. Well, what if I fall? What if you fall? Then get up again. The Bible said a righteous man may fall seven times, but every time he'll get back up. Come on. Don't don't not get up because you're afraid you might fall. Get up and see what happens. Depend on the power of God. Stop wallowing in it. Stop agreeing with the lie. Some of you today, you're agreeing with the lie about yourself. Listen, hold on, hold on. This is from the Lord. There are people in this room today right now that things were said to you when you were a child. Listen, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trite with this kind of thing. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now. There are several people in this room that there were things said over you as a child that were lies. And you have dismissed them, but you still kind of sort of believe them. Had to do with your worth or had to do with your appearance or it had to do with your failures or it had to do with really what it had to do with is a deficiency in whoever it was that told you that lie and God is saying to you today get up stop believing lies that someone else said about you believe what I have said says the Lord that you are a son and daughter of God that you are free and free indeed because the the son sets you free you are free indeed that you are a person of purpose a person of dignity a person of value for my very image is on you says God you have value to me and to this planet and to this place Stop believing the lie. I didn't speak that over you. The devil, the enemy, the liar spoke that over you. I didn't speak that over you, says God. Put your hope in Jesus who can set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He's your healer. He's your deliverer. He's your victory. He's your everything. Make a decision to follow Him. You can keep sitting there for years and years and years and die. Or you can say, that's that's it. I'm getting up. Listen, I don't know who this is speaking to right now, but God is really moving on hearts right now, and I, I just want you to respond, okay? 
when God says things like this and does things like this, don't avoid it, don't ignore it, don't act like it's not happening. Listen to the voice of God. You can, you can make a decision to follow Him or you can keep sitting there. You can keep waiting for some superstition or tradition or religious idea to fix it or you can take up your bed and walk. You can keep sitting in spiritual comfort and spiritual lethargy or you can get up, stir up your gift and live full on for God. Jesus is just different. When you encounter Jesus, he's just different. He's not like others. He's not like the world. He, he just says things like this. He, he, he just says you to step out in faith. He, he, says, he says to lepers, be cleansed. Go to the priest. He, he, he says to the blind man, "Go." who tells a blind man to walk over to a pool and wash his eyes? He's blind. Who tells a dead man? He didn't say, go in and get Lazarus' body and bring him out here. He stood in front of the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out here. Who does that? Jesus does it. And you're waiting for somebody to come in your tomb and pull you out. You're waiting for somebody, some feeling, some person, some issue to come into your tomb of spiritual lethargy or habitual problems or whatever a case may be. And you're waiting for somebody to lay hands on you or somebody to fix your problem or somebody to give you the right answer. And Jesus is on the outside of your tomb this morning and he's saying, come out, get up. Do you want to be well? And I'm saying this, those of you who have I heard that word a moment ago. I just sang this to you. Listen, a lot of your problems, a lot of your issues, a lot of the manifestation of things that are happening in your life is because that lie has perpetuated itself in your life. How long? How long will you tolerate the enemy running roughshod over your family? How long will you allow tradition to control your thinking? How long will you tolerate the darkness of discouragement to cast a shadow over your life? How long will you sit there and let fear run over you? How long will it take you to kick fear off the throne of your life? Do you want to get well? Do you want to move forward in your relationship? Do you want God to do something powerful and victorious in your life? Do you want to be used by Him? Then don't stay here until you die. Take a step. Take a risk. Take a leap. Step out in faith. Your victory awaits you on the other side. So here's what I'm saying this morning as He continues to play and as the band comes back up here these altars are open. I want you to stand with me right now. Now listen to me. We're going to take the next few minutes and let you take a step you need to take. Now, taking this step doesn't mean you're filled with sin. Taking this step doesn't mean you need to be born again. Some, some may, some might. But taking this step does mean there is an area or a thing or something or a mindset or an issue or, or even maybe you're one of those people who God was speaking to that said someone lied about you and you have taken it. You have heard it and you have let it take root in your life. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to lay hands on you. I'm not going to pray for you like that. I'm not doing any of that. But I am going to say, make a, make a deal. Make a, make a surrender. Make a move. Make a move. Don't sit there till you die. Don't sit there and say, I, I, don't, I could never get over this. There's no way. 
I couldn't, this will never change in my life. Don't do that. That's just the paralytic sitting on the map waiting for the water to stir. Maybe it'll happen someday. It's not going to happen to you. You've got to ask God for it. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open these altars up, and I'm going to ask you, everybody, if there's anything that you want God to do in your life this morning on any level for any reason, I want you to step out from your chair. I want you to come down here. I want you to find a place around these altars. Even if it's not up against the stage, you can just sit. You can just kneel down there. Or you can sit in one of these front chairs. You can kneel down at these chairs. I don't care. This is not about pride. This is not about what people think. This is not about some emotional moment. But this is, this is, this is Jesus. Listen, he gave me this message this morning. We're learning from his teachings. This is Jesus saying to you, it's time for you to get up. In this area, it's time for you to get up. And, and, and I, I sense in my heart right now that there are certain people in this room that are saying, I really need to go down there, but I'm not going to go. And you know what God's saying to you? It's time for you to get up from your pride. It's time for you to get up from your pride. Pride is holding you hostage. And people approval is holding you hostage. And you need to say, this is it. I'm moving on. So as they play and sing, just come out from your seat. Find, this is not, look, there's no success or failure for me here. This is all about you. Do you want what God wants to give you? Do you want what God give you? Do you want it? Do you want it? Hallelujah, Jesus, we praise you. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church Podcast.